welcome to the Thinker Nick podcast. The podcast where we interview ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Our goal is to share stories and ideas about how thinking differently can shape a better future for all. Hello guys, welcome back to the Thinker Nick podcast. I'm your host Nick Daniels, joined by Nicola Tyler. Nicola, how are we doing today? Very well, thank you. Fantastic. I feel like I've rehearsed that. Well, just gone over that particular in <laughs> beginning. I think I don't need to do it anymore because we've already got the intro. <laughs> so today we're joined by another guest. And this is a podcast we've been trying to get in the pipeline for a while. As me and Nicola, are, our knowledge in the blockchain industry is very limited. So our guest today started his career at a startup that gave poorly connected South African communities access to Wi-Fi but he couldn't shake the urge to travel and ended up teaching in Hong Kong. While in Hong Kong, he taught himself video editing and photography, and this taught him the more valuable lesson that you can learn absolutely anything on the internet. That gave him the confidence to dive headfirst into crypto and Web3 and as a result of that, NFTs. This interest turned into an obsession and he spent every spare moment learning, trading and networking. He's now a partnership manager based in London, and in his spare time, he consults projects. He is currently working on the development of an NFT agency and educational podcast on the side. So, Byron, welcome to the show. Absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you, guys. It's great to be here. Fantastic. It's very funny that we were kind of in the same part of the world, but we never connected. And your story, in some ways, is similar to mine. How you've kind of realized that you can learn anything on the internet and also coming from the asian community so i'm sure yeah. we've got a lot to talk about today so yeah, to dive to yeah so to dive straight in let's kind of look at just from the beginning so as someone who would be like a cryptocurrency complete beginner basically cryptocurrency for for dummies what is cryptocurrency and what is the blockchain okay so Cryptocurrency is just a digital currency that is, its records are maintained in like a decentralized manner and it allows peer-to-peer -peer transactions. So I know a lot of the terminology and stuff tends to like go over people's heads and it's a bit confusing. And so like, please just like stop me if I haven't explained something well enough or something isn't clear because like the whole point is to like try and make it as clear as possible. That's like my objective. So digital currency, that's pretty self-explanatory where it's just, it's purely digital. There's nothing physical and you transact over the internet. And the records are maintained in a decentralized manner is basically referring to a, a, the blockchain. Okay. And I'll get, explain the blockchain now in a second, but, uh, and it allows peer-to-peer -peer transactions, meaning there's no middleman. Okay. So I can send you money and there's no bank in the middle saying like, are you sure you want to send that? Or like you send a huge amount <laughs> and you have to phone someone and say, yes, that was me. And so there's none of that purely peer to peer. And then into the blockchain, the blockchain is just like a, it's an immutable distributed ledger. And what that means, immutable means it can't be changed at all. So once a transaction is recorded, it's there forever. And distributed refers to it is, it is shared by many computers all over. That's what supports the network. 
And so that's also what gives it security. And the ledger meaning like, like an accounting ledger, like we learned at school, it's just a record of all these transactions. And why it's called a blockchain is because a block is a certain amount of transactions. And so once it reaches the number of transactions for that block, it is then chained to the next block. That's purely why it's called that. So it, it seems like a more confusing term than it actually is, but it's purely just a block of transactions chained to the next one. And anyone can go back throughout the history of all transactions on any blockchain and view them if they want to. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's honestly the, like that is Bitcoin for dummies. That is great. That that honestly made me understand the blockchain a lot. I I mean I've been waiting for so long to to just understand the concept. But can you can you just explain to the listeners what does decentralized mean? Decentralized basically means that there's no central controlling party. So we have banks for a lot of our transactions, for insurance payments. We have insurance companies to buy a house. We have to go through brokers and a whole lot of people there's a lot of things in the middle or industries and people and platforms in between us to transact any type of transaction there's usually some sort of middleman and so decentralized basically takes out the middleman and the platform and the infrastructure is supported by many computers giving it that decentralized form I see. And those computers can be anywhere in the world? Yes. And so I'm sure you've heard of Bitcoin miners. Those guys basically support and run the network. They are all over the world maintaining the network. And so you can't have one bad actor hacking the network because because of its decentralized manner. I see. I see. So just off the top of my head, just thinking about what you said, can you have new people coming in to maintain that at all times? So when I yes. think of something that's decentralized, I think of like an operating system that I used to use in prep school when it just came out called Linux. And it's open source, which means that anyone can edit, add, they can code, they can, you know, they can whatever if it's whatever software they like, anyone can do it. Is it the same sort of same sort of concept with Bitcoin? Yes. So Each network is run and maintained in a different way. Bitcoin uses a method called proof of work where the computers maintaining the network have to compete for transactions. So in theory, yes, anyone can join and start competing to secure the network and get the fees for maintaining the network and securing it. But it's a very expensive process. So okay. in theory, yes, anyone can join. But at the moment, there's a lot of computing power supporting it. And so, yeah, you, you need a lot of money to get involved, but you could. Okay, cool. Epic. Thank you for that. So for all the viewers, you guys will see that we've actually included something that's pretty new and pretty cool in the podcast today. And Nicola has got out her whiteboard. She's very good at drawing visual graphics. So if you're listening on Spotify, I highly recommend you switch over to YouTube right now. As Nicola, what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on Bitcoin and, and kind of what Byron has said so far? So I like Byron, your description of how it's an immutable distributed ledger. 
And I think the thing that there's no middleman, so there's no governing body to approve or authorize or sanction the transaction. Yes. So when you say peer-to-peer, it could be from me to you, but it could also be business to business, or it could be me to a business. Peer-to-peer isn't necessarily a body to a body. It could be an entity to an entity. Yes. It It just means there's no one in the middle checking those transactions um and then so there's two sides to the coin um because then you are fully responsible for your transactions there's no customer support um, if you send it to the wrong person yeah so it's like there's an upside and there's a downside yeah right so if you think of peer-to-peer yeah but people would say that it's only upside but we're so used to the banking system and having customer support and not being held accountable for a mistake or someone stealing our money. And so it seems like a downside, but if we want complete control over our money, then it's all upside. If you, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, for sure. But basically, I mean, just, just expand on that because there is a point at which people through uncertainty don't venture into this world. You have ultimate control, but ultimate control is also a responsibility. Yes. So what are you responsible um, for? Yes, you're fully responsible. And that's, and that's, I suppose, one of the barriers to entry because that thought alone is quite a scary one because we never have been fully responsible for our money. And so in theory, the idea is great because no, there's no one to answer to. I'm not sure if you've seen any of these videos going around where you can't even walk into a bank today and say you have five hundred thousand dollars in the bank Mm -hmm. you can't pull that out instantly no so in theory it's your money but you you don't have access to all of it all the time and so the blockchain allows that but at the same time people like the security and the customer support and because it, but but it's what we're used to so i believe that we can learn to ha- to you know get there one day but it is going to take some time because of just how scary the thought is that's one and there's a lot of infrastructure and ease of use issues that are scary to people we're sending it to addresses that are just long numbers and so you have to copy and paste because if you tried to type it out you would mess up and send it to someone that doesn't exist or the wrong address so yeah it's still in the nascent stages and everyone's still learning and growing and there's a whole lot of infrastructure that still needs to be built in order for mass adoption to happen yeah so just touching on two things there the first one is basically the transactions like i remember bitcoin blowing off it's obviously been around for a while now but i remember when i was if you like just before the laggards i jumped on you know just before it became it peaked and i remember like trying to get into this thing and just like you said the wallet the actual bitcoin wallet is to send money in it just doesn't feel safe because it's just like a a bar of code and you're like well i'm going to send i don't know let's just say 10 grand for example which, which is a lot of money to a lot of people do you know what i mean like Especially yeah. for me at the time, I was like, well, but um, <laughs> for example, if, if you're sending 10 grand, like it just doesn't seem trustworthy because it's, like you said, it's not what we used to. The other thing I wanted to touch on is for this episode is basically Bitcoin for dummies. 
And people love a user interface. So if I go onto my Binance account, for example, for those of you guys who don't know what Binance is, it's basically like a, it's like a crypto wallet. So it's like an online wallet as if you would have like an online banking app. However, yeah, it's not well, really, it's, yeah, it's, yeah sorry, I'd say it's more of a, it's a centralized exchange. Okay. So it's um, a crypto exchange. And, okay. Yes. But it's, it's a centralized one because we have the company Binance who actually controls all your funds. So yeah, yeah. there's a term called not your keys, not your money. And so you don't really own the keys to all your funds on the Binance account. And so it's seen as more of a centralized I see. way to access. Ah, your so money. that would be like the crypto bank in a sense. Yes. Okay, cool. So, and then if you completely just didn't want to have that centralized system and play, because that's essentially the middleman. I remember buying like a ledger. Do you know, you know what a ledger is? Obviously yes. it's like a USB, it looks like a USB hard drive for the listeners. And basically you can you can actually export or store your Bitcoin on a ledger and then like unplug the USB from your laptop and it's on your ledger. So literally you yes. have the Bitcoin, I don't know, under your bed on a USB drive. <laughs> and I'm serious, I'm serious. And no one can touch it because it's it's out of the network, it's on your ledger and you have it like on a device. Am I correct yeah. in saying that, Byron? Yes. Uh, I definitely recommend anyone who wants to invest a sizable amount of money into this that they do get a ledger or one of the hardware wallets because it's just that extra layer of protection and it basically protects you from yourself. It then confirms whether you want to make that transaction on top of the normal way you do it. So it just it just adds a layer in to make sure that everything is legit. You're not sending money to the wrong person and also it stores it offline so no one has access to it. If they were to be a hack or anything like that. Uh, okay. That's pretty so cool. hang on, let's stay there. Cause now <laughs> we've gone from, so basically this, this money, well, it's yes. a currency. We're calling it a currency. These digits don't exist mm -hmm. except physically. in a no. physically exist. They virtually exist. And we've got our head around a block of transactions chained together. That's the blockchain. And you spoke about miners. I think we should go back there. And then you spoke about upsides and downsides, where you're saying it's more upside than downside, but we are so used to banking that we aren't used to this sort of virtual world. But there's, and then you've spoken about Binance being the middleman, it's the equivalent of a bank. And now you're speaking about a ledger. So the ledger. <laughs> the ledger yeah. is the name it's of a company. Oh, the ledger okay. is just so yeah, I did refer to a ledger previously, which was the blockchain, which is just a record of transactions, that type of yes. ledger in like accounting okay. terms. Yeah. And now um what Nick brought up is called a hardware wallet. And a ah. company that makes those hardware wallets is called a ledger. I mean it's called ah. ledger. That's the name of the company. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so it's just a yes. brand basically yes. of a hardware wallet. Yes. Ah, okay, cool. Got awesome. it. So so now you've bought a hardware wallet. It could be Ledger or it could be someone else. And yes. you said you put your money on a USB and stick it under the mattress. <laughs> Literally. <I'm not> <laughs> like, I believe you. But now what happens if the mattress burns down or you lose your Ledger? I've lost lots of USBs over the years. So have, similar to an online wallet, 
or yeah. a hot toilet, uh, you would have a 12-word or 24-word key phrase that gives you access to that wallet. So if you were to lose your computer or use that ledger, you could then set up a new ledger if you have those phrases or keywords that would give you access to your so, new wallet with all existing funds. So my great-grandmother's name was Sally and she was born in Jamaica or something yes. like that. But it's got to be 24 words that I remember. Oh, no. You don't, okay. you don't make it up. It's completely oh. random and they're given to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you have to write it down. And you if write you lose it down, that password, you, you shouldn't store it online. That's another security uh, yeah. tip okay. because that makes you vulnerable mm -hmm. to a hack if someone can, you know, access your Google Drive or cloud storage or anything like that. So you have to go old school and write it down on a piece of paper. And guys with huge amounts of money in their or on their ledger wallets will have their seed phrase, those twenty-four words engraved on pieces of metal on like three <laughs> separate pieces of metal and have them in three different locations around the world that's crazy that's yeah well i'd imagine that's how you'd protect your money right so just just like so basically what you're trying to say is <laughs> that is offline you take your crypto your your essential digital currency which is your crypto offline mm -hmm. and you're saying that even if the house burned down and your your ledger was under the mattress Obviously, that's the ledger's toast. Cheers. And we're talking about a ledger as in a, a hardware wallet now. You're, you're yeah. saying that there's actually a way that you can retrieve those funds, even if the house burns down and your ledger goes with it. Yes, if you so have then, your so, seed phrase. So, so my question is, so what's the point in even having it if your money is still going to be online? Well, it's, it's not online. You would just basically spin up that wallet when you get a new ledger, hardware wallet. And to be honest, I don't know exactly, I know what you're saying. And yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure uh, how it works. Okay. Yeah. It's, that's an interesting question, right? Like, so if you got, if you yes. buy, I've, I've, got, I've got a ledger like at home in South Africa. I don't obviously don't use it because it would be with me now if, if, if I did. But I'm just thinking like I bought it to take my crypto offline so that no one in the blockchain could see my crypto and it would be under my mattress. But like, it's interesting that, if there's a way to still retrieve that all that money, if it's on there or digital fiat currency or digital currency, whatever you want to call it, then it almost seems like the ledger is completely pointless. Like, well, I think it's it's still digital, but when you plug it in, it connects to the network, and when it's not plugged in, it is not communicating with any networks. So it's basically offline, but it's still a digital. Ah, uh, okay, I see. Yeah, interesting. What sits on the ledger? What's there? Your, your cryptocurrencies. So you can send whatever cryptocurrency you have and store it on that ledger. So it's like my savings book. Yes. It's, it's, okay. it's like your little personal bank account that you carry around with you. you <laughs> <laughs> that you put under the mattress <laughs> and hope the house doesn't burn down, basically. <laughs> so I think we're getting somewhere. So I let's just get my head around this. So I buy crypto. Let's not say Bitcoin because everyone says Bitcoin. Give yeah, me another yeah. one. Ethereum. 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 It's basically. Well, Ethereum, well, we can get into that, but the yeah. currency is called Ether. Uh, Ether. Ether. That, that would be the stock, the stock, the stock mm -hmm. um, code, if you like. If you've ever seen like a stock market or a stock code, 
yeah. ether would be the the name that you would see on the stock, for okay. example. Yeah. So I'm gonna buy ETH. ETH. Yeah. ETH. ETH. No R. ETH. Yeah. E T H. Yeah. Like just that. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> so this is great because what I wanted to dive into now is basically I was going to ask the question: just what is Bitcoin? Like when people hear about uh, digital currencies, all they hear about is Bitcoin, right? Yeah, and they're mm -hmm. like, oh, and Bitcoin, it's Bitcoin's through the roof, and Bitcoin's dropped. Ah, it was fifty grand, and now it's thirty grand in two weeks, and the the market's fluctuating because of Bitcoin, Bitcoin. But there's since the evolution or the start of Bitcoin, there is so many different coins now that it's actually yes. too hard to follow, and that's that's honestly why a lot of people don't even want to get involved in it because there's just so much going on and it's constantly evolving, right? Yeah. So. Let's go back to where we started, which is basically Bitcoin for dummies. And Byron, can you explain to us wh what is the craze behind Bitcoin essentially and what is Bitcoin? So Bitcoin is the first cryptocurrency. Yeah. And so it had first mover advantage, but it was basically created to be sound money. So when you look at it now and compare like all cryptocurrencies, um, you could say Bitcoin is like the gold of cryptocurrency and there's a finite amount and it's going to reach that amount in the year 2140 so all bitcoin 21 million of them will be mined by 2140 so there's a finite supply so that that also affects sort of the demand supply graph because more users adopt the technology but the supply continues to decrease over time well not mm -hmm. decrease but increase at a slower rate and so sorry can you just, can you just explain that can you just explain that to the listeners so how it, it doesn't okay. decrease but it increases at a, at a slower rate so it increases at a slower rate so every every four years we have a thing called the bitcoin halving and what that means is the amount of bitcoin that a miner is rewarded for you know, securing the network and approving transactions is so that amount is halved every four years. Uh, so their reward halves every four years. They do they do their job basically. Okay. And that inevitably drives value and price uh, because okay. now more people are coming to the network. They're now earning less, but they feel like they should be paid more. Well, like equivalent for less actual Bitcoin. And so that's why the dollar value of it keeps keeps on going up. Ah, Nicola, do you want to touch yeah. on that? I'll bring up your notes on the presentation. I, I feel um, I feel like my brain is scrambled. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to just take a break from writing and maybe just? <laughs> no, I'm trying to get my head. So I get the gold standard, but yes. there's nothing that nothing underpins the value of this currency. As in, there's not a reserve to back it up. So if you think about well, the history of money, the history of money was that we created coins as a way of exchanging things. It was a, yes. a form of exchange, and they were first put into sort of gold and silver because that's what we were exchanging, right? Yes, and um, that, that's a very interesting point, and I'm actually very glad you raised that point because, yes, currency and the dollar and the pound used to be backed by gold and that's what gave it value because gold is just seen as valuable mm -hmm. but now well i think it was in 1974 
the US stopped using the gold standard and became fiat currency. And so what gives the US dollar value is purely people using it and accepting it as a means of exchange, which makes it the same as Bitcoin. There's just not as many people using it and, and accepting it yet. But that's the only differentiating factor is that governments recognize it as a current recognize the dollar as a currency and as value and if that were to happen to bitcoin then it would have value so yeah i i just find i find it very interesting because a lot of people don't think about like where the value of the dollar comes from and yes it used to be gold and that made sense to everyone but not many people now think deep as to why the dollar has value and it's purely because we say it does yeah that is so the only reason the dollar has value today is because people use it yeah pretty much yeah and when you say a fiat currency what's a fiat currency a fiat is a an an italian car it's a car yeah Yeah. 500 the fiat currency is the term used for the modern currency which is not backed by gold basically ah okay cool but you just said that the dollar is not backed by gold either anymore so would that be a fiat currency as well yeah, all all currencies are now fiat currencies. Ah, that's so interesting. You know what would be, you know what would so be is, really. So is Bitcoin. Sorry. No, no, no. Bitcoin, Bitcoin is not because it's a well, it's a crypt, cryptocurrency. So that's the differentiation between them. But it's also not backed by gold. No, it's not backed by gold. But because it's purely digital, we don't normally refer to it as a. A fiat currency because ah, so this fiat is currency printed. can be broken up into i think the th- what are the three oh let me think back to economics class the three different types of money it's like bonds cash and paper oh, i can't remember yeah there's yeah so there's that's yeah fiat currency can be broken into three different parts okay so byron we touched on Basically, like if you have your wallet address and people are like a bit unsure about Bitcoin at the moment because of like it's not user friendly and they they see all these numbers and they get scared. So a lot of people are asking the question, which I'm going to ask now is how safe is cryptocurrency? How safe is cryptocurrency is like an interesting question because the dangers are more because of like volatility, lack of regulation and possible scams. But None of those are actual security risks about the currency itself or the network. It's all very secure. And like I send my brother a a coin called USDT, which is basically just the equivalent of a US dollar. If I have to send him money, like when I was in Hong Kong, it's very difficult. Well, you don't want to deal with banks that take long and you've got to exchange it and all that. And so I just send him USDT and it gets there instantly. And so, and it's very secure, except because of the volatility is due to lack of people using it, um, which we were speaking about previously with what gives it value. And so that's why it's so volatile is just purely like numbers and lack of regulation. Just it's like we're unsure of where it's going to go, what the governments are going to do, how they are going to regulate it, those type of things. And then scams, you're basically a danger to yourself. Like we're talking at the beginning like we were speaking about at the beginning because it's all these numbers and it's not that user-friendly yet there's a lot 
there's a very high chance that you may send it to someone else or the, uh, the wrong person, or you may click on the link that drains your wallet. So Ooh, there's a lot of education <laughs> that needs yeah. to needs to go into this. Yeah, it's a combination, I'd say, of education yeah. and ease of use in order for mass adoption to occur because we are a danger to ourselves at the moment it's, with how it's almost, unuser-friendly yeah. it is. It's almost like, like you just said, if you click one button, you drain your wallet. That's 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 terrifying if all your funds are in one wallet. You know what I mean? It's almost like yeah. and I don't know, you can answer this, but is it's almost like you need a fail safe. So like like an undo button. Have you ever done something on like, for example, on Gmail? If you delete an email, it pops up in the corner and you can quickly undo it, like you got 10 seconds to do that. What what is the yeah. status on that in, in the blockchain system? Well, because once a transaction has gone through, it has gone through. There's no yeah, you see. take backs. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's the thing. But they they are on the Chrome extension wallet that is like most commonly used called MetaMask. They are improving the questions they ask before going through with the transaction. So it's sort of like an are you sure? Like, uh, okay. is this wallet address 100% correct? And then if it looks a bit dodgy or like people have reported that this wallet is scamming people, they'll add like an extra layer being like, in red saying like be uh, careful this okay. has been reported so yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of things being put in place prior to the transaxion yeah, but once yeah. the transaction gone through, has gone through it's gone through yeah i was about to say it's very proactive to be fair but yeah once it's gone it's gone sorry nicola yeah i'm thinking it is a bit terrifying just listening to this because it's almost like you have to do a transaction before you really understand what it is. You need to sit with someone who says, okay, now we're doing this. We do this, we do this, we do this, we do this. So if I've got this, I'm online, I'm just trying to imagine it. And I, yes. I've, if I want to trade, not trade, but own Bitcoin, what are the steps? So if it's Bitcoin um, for dummies, step one is I get a computer. I need yeah, to or be a, or a phone. Yeah, or a phone. Either, yeah. either way, yeah. And at, at the moment, although it isn't completely decentralized, I'd say to just go on an exchange. What's um, an exchange? So an exchange is where you can buy multiple coins, mm -hmm. uh, multiple cryptocurrencies, and uh, it's all in, like, it's basically centralized in one place. And yeah, it's a lot easier. They normally do KYC for security purposes, okay. which is know your customer, mm -hmm. similar to banking and bank. all of that, where they'll have your a form of identification on file with your photo, that type of thing. And so, give me an example would, of an exchange. Binance. Uh, well, what we Binance, about, Coinbase. Okay. Yeah, Finance. Coinbase What's, is one. Yeah. What's Luno? Yeah, Luno is an exchange that's more South African okay. focused. Okay. They accept rands. Yes, but Luno is an exchange too. And then um, I would open an account. Yes, you just yeah, you'd register, set it up and do the whole KYC process. Yeah, verification, all that. Okay. And then okay, so now I've now do I put money in what where yes. does that money come from? Is it well, my your, cash? your bank account? Oh, okay. Yeah. So it comes from a bank. Mm -hmm. Yes, you'd send you'd send it to the exchange. Yeah, you'd send money to the exchange. So what Byron touched on earlier, USTD, 
is basically the crypto equivalent of the dollar. So you okay. would send USTD to your exchange and then inside Binance, Luno, Coinbase, you can then exchange that to any sort of coin that you would like. Okay, but what I'm saying is the money right now comes from fiat money. Yes. So when I buy Bitcoin, I'm taking money out of fiat currency and putting it into digital currency. Yes. So I take it out of my bank and put it into this world. So I transfer money into my exchange account. And then what do I do? I buy Bitcoin as yes. if I was buying gold or flour or mm -hmm. it's a commodity. Yes. 100%. Yes. As a commodity. Okay. So on the exchange, you you have 500 US dollars, then you'd just exchange it for the equivalent in Bitcoin. Okay. And that would give me like 0 0.001 ounces. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Literally, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's also, that's one thing that people do get a bit confused about is because they hear the price of one Bitcoin is, I think it's at like 18,000 dollars at the moment people think that that's a ridiculous price of entry and they can't afford one bitcoin but that's not the case like you can buy a fraction of a bitcoin mm -hmm. so okay. yeah, yeah you can buy a 50 dollars worth if you wanted to like you can have fractional ownership of a property in london exactly yes okay all right so keep let's go down this journey because it is bitcoin for dummies so now I've bought $500 worth of Bitcoin and I have fractional ownership. So it's like having a half an ounce of gold or not even. Yes, or like one cent or... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so now I own the Bitcoin. The value of the Bitcoin is only important if I want to trade it or because yes. let's... So, if I, so now, I, if, now I don't have $500. Let's say I've got 500 cents or 500 bits. Right. So now I own, let's just say I own bits. They're in my wallet and my wallet is yeah. virtual. What do I do with them? So, so this is, well, we haven't <laughs> got into Ethereum, but okay. Bitcoin at the moment is seen as gold more mm -hmm. than a proper means of exchange because uh -huh. the network is a lot slower and so transaction per second there aren't that many transactions per second and so it moves a lot slower and so people don't tend to buy that many things with it it's rather just uh -huh. an asset class an asset. seen as an investment uh -huh. and it's okay. buy and hold but uh -huh. this may be getting a bit <laughs> complicated <laughs> but they are developing something called a layer two called the lightning network which groups together a whole lot of transactions so they go through a lot faster and then they record them on the blockchain in bundles in order to speed up the network and once that's fully up and running then we may see more companies and things accepting bitcoin as a means of exchange but mm -hmm. at the moment it's more a buy and hold strategy for bitcoin okay um, so actually the value of, the of bitcoin becomes important because it's about an asset class Yes. Okay. But I can't use it. So I can take my $500 to pick and pay and do stuff with it. I can exchange yes. and there's a convenience or I don't even have to go to the shop now. It comes to me. But in this world, I can't really transact with Bitcoin because not many people accept it. 
Yes, but it's some same as gold. Um, you can't really go to yeah. pick and pay but with it, the. Can I just touch on that? So it's interesting that you say that. I have a mate, another friend who's big into the crypto space, like huge. And he was telling me that now you can get a visa type card, piece of plastic card, like you would have for your bank account. And it's connected to the exchange. And you can pay on that card as if you would pay for any normal transaction. Have you heard of this before? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So can you There's... can you touch on that a bit? What is that? So they just convert your cryptocurrency into whatever Dollar currency what pound, in whatever that country. It is, yeah. Yes. And a okay. lot of these a lot of these cards require you to stake their currency. So and then you get certain levels of cards. And they're similar to a credit card where if you pay X amount per month or you have X amount in your bank account, you get certain rewards, you know, access to lounges and all that type of thing. So the way these work is there's another exchange called crypto.com, for example, and yeah. they have levels to their cards. There's like green, like a jade green, a red one, a blue one, a black one. Okay. And they have a, their own coin called CRO. And you need to stake, which means like lock up x amount of their of their cro in order to get whatever level of credit card and obviously the more perks the more you have to stake is basically how these credit cards work and then it's yeah it's a visa card and so you can you decide on the app which currency you want to spend and it'll convert that currency into the us dollar or the pound where when you're at a restaurant or anything like that okay Interesting. Nicola, what are your thoughts on that? I think, I mean, if cryptocurrency is becoming the, well, it's going in the process of becoming the norm, right? And now you can get a card where you can, it's becoming user-friendly, basically, what we spoke about earlier. So basically, like, now you can have a card and you don't even have to worry about converting your Bitcoin into dollar or Bitcoin into pound. You can use it as like a Visa card, which is, I think, is awesome because for people like me, Bitcoin for dummies or crypto for dummies, that's exactly what you want if you want to get into the crypto market, right? Nicola, what do you think? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, if we go back to what Byron said at the beginning, a lot of this is about adoption. So the volatility is about actually people using Bitcoin like they use dollars. So I think what I'm hearing is there's a migration, perhaps generational initially, but that will become more comfortable for people over time. So there's a migration to move away from fiat currency, which is in very simple terms, printed money into di digital currency, which is sort of categorized as blockchain. But until companies, organizations or businesses accept digital currency as a form of tender, legal tender, which is where governments will get involved, the adoption will be restricted to enthusiasts and investors and risk takers. So this card conversion thing, I would imagine is critical for adoption because without that, there's no means with which you can transact. So I'm quite interested in you talk about, I think you said you send your brother USDT. Yes. So just explain that transaction because you're saying he's got the money immediately, but you're basically are you buying dollars and sending him dollars? And this USDT is just a intermediary? What uh, I'm trying to figure so, out, and what does he do when he gets it? I mean, why send him money if you can't spend it? So 
Okay, there's a, a lot to unpack there. <laughs> we haven't we haven't gone over what Ethereum is. Okay. Uh, and that's that's a separate blockchain, but it's more than just a blockchain. It's technology for apps to build upon. Is it so, Ethereum with an I or an E? E. That's correct. Okay, cool. It's a technology for apps to build on top of it. So a lot of these cryptocurrencies that we hear of are built on top of Ethereum. So they have okay. a token standard, which is called ERC-20. And most cryptocurrencies are ERC-20. And there's a few other blockchains which are similar to Ethereum, which basically do the same thing. And they're all competing for market share and differ in transaction prices and things like that. But most people exchange on Ethereum by buying and selling things. A lot of NFTs. Uh, what and is so Ethereum? Ethereum is what? Is it it's not techno is a technology that enables mm -hmm. people to build apps on top of it? Uh, applications. So what differentiates that from Bitcoin then? Because Ethereum um, is a coin essentially, right? Yeah, but it's but it's a tech platform for people to build on top of, which Bitcoin isn't. And so I'm not sure if you've heard of smart contract capabilities. Yeah. And uh, a smart contract is basically a contract where you can code certain param parameters into it. And if mm -hmm. that criteria is met, then funds come in, funds go out, a transaction happens. Mm -hmm. So this... This is where a lot of the middleman starts to vanish is like through smart contracts. With your so question about USDT. Is, yeah. USDT is one of the tokens built on top of Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And what enables them, enables them to peg to the dollar is that they supposedly have the dollar equivalent. So it's a one-for-one -one exchange in assets. There's been some controversy around whether that claim is true or not, but that's not the point. So they have assets worth, you can go on to a, a platform to check all the prices of cryptocurrencies and you can see how much in US dollar terms USDT has, how much it has in assets and okay. that's their market capitalization. And then you know for sure there's that peg. So you can try and transfer 500 USDT is the exact same as transferring 500 like US dollars but I can transfer it over the blockchain to my brother's wallet so it gets there instantly I'm not talking to banks or anything like that and then yeah. my brother can put that in an exchange and then take it out into his normal fiat currency it's just a way of getting it there easier uh, and also people touch on the fees of cryptocurrency and how they there's there's basically no fee right transaction fee yes although in ethereum the fees when there's a lot of people on the network can get quite high oh really like um, a normal bank would it be like a normal bank sort of fees like uh, higher level? than a normal bank oh wow okay when they were in the like nft sort of bull run you would sometimes pay if a lot of people were trying to buy a particular project at the same time you could pay up to a hundred dollars for a transaction sure sure that why would you, so who's making money out of this the the miners okay That's so it. ethereum used to be proof of work which okay. is what bitcoin still is 
where computers are running difficult equations over and over again, and whoever completes it gets to run that block, and they get the fees for running those transactions through the blockchain. And that's what Ethereum used to be like. And so you pay these miners a network fee. So each transaction you pay for, and the miners get a cut of it. And that's sort of how it's run. That's like the decentralized manner. So you pay for these computers to run the network. Let me, uh, don't forget we're dummies, okay? (laughs) And I feel like a proper one right now. (laughs) I'm like, whoa. I think we need to do a few of these. We need to see. I was about to say, yeah, I might need to cut this one in two. Like it's so let's go back to the miners. So when I was a kid, miners were dirty people that went underground and came up sooty. So not they're not dirty people, it was a dirty job. Um, so these are a miner is not a person, it's a computer, yes. Okay, but someone's programming that computer to do something, yes. Okay, so um, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's just so there is a person here. There's a body, okay, and the body programs a computer, so it's a programmer, okay. Yes, and they instruct a box, a computer, to do a calculation. Yes. Okay, and that calculation. I mean, how do you know what you're calculating? So it's a it's a particular equation that I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, okay, that's but fine. But it it doesn't the equation doesn't mean anything. The equation is just part of the competition. It's so a competition. The first, yes, there's miners <laughs> there's miners competing to um, <laughs> run the network. So each block. Um, each <laughs> block gets rewarded to a miner. Okay, so let's hang on a minute. Let's just, this is now getting to the nuts and bolts of this. Yeah, this is awesome. So, a miner, yes, what we call a miner is actually a process, and there's a specific equation. Who wrote the equation? The guy who invented Bitcoin, who no one really okay. knows who he is. He's known as Shitoki Nakamoto. Yeah, the Japanese guy, right? Shitoki well, Nakamoto. It's a Japanese name, but no. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, right, right. <laughs> right so, yeah. so the so it's a Japanese name person. Yeah. It's a we Japanese name. Yeah, a name yeah. literally. We don't know if it's a person. Japanese name. Unknown and could be a person. A robot. Could be a robot. Literally, Satoshi yeah. Nakamoto. Okay. What, how do I sell it? Satoshi. S-A-T-O-S-H-I. Yes, Nakamoto. Nakamoto, which probably means, I know my name in Japan means running freely through the meadows. I wonder what his name means. Satoshi Nakamoto. (laughs) So, yeah, that person invented Bitcoin. Satoshi Nakamoto. Okay, so he invented, or it it yeah no one knows who they are no one a few people have come forward and claimed but yeah no one so it invented bitcoin but in doing so it invented an it created an equation right 
Yes. And what I now um, need is that equation has to, to to be calculated by a computer, right? Yeah, well, hundreds of computers, thousands. Uh, so you need thousands of computers to figure out this equation. They're all running to solve it, but there's so many because you need the computing power to compete with other computers. So as the halving occurs and more people, more miners enter, it basically just drives up how much computing power you need in order to solve the next block. So, <laughs> so how do you know? So, okay, I mean, this is becoming quite entertaining. So there's a bunch of computers that have been programmed by people to figure out basically the solution to an equation. Yes, over and over yeah. and over again. Okay, thousands of times. Yes. Okay, so and when, when you get to do it first, I am the winner, right? Yes. When I get there first, what do I get? A Bitcoin. You get the transaction fees for that, for a particular block. And then the block is like chained to the previous one. And it starts uh, creating that okay. then that block of transactions is recorded. Uh, goes back to what we're and you about. get rewarded in transaction fees for upholding in transaction fees and a bit of Bitcoin. Nicola, I'm gonna hand over back to you if you want to explain what you've been writing down. So, Throw some questions, more questions I'm of Byron. Yeah, Byron. <laughs> we are grilling you, man. <laughs> no problem. But I'm I'm trying to figure it out. I guess I'm I feel like I'm on a, a personal training course like i know it's great it's fantastic so so we started off with proof of work and basically we spoke about miners and miners yes. are companies or individuals that make money yes. and the way so, they make money is by getting computers to solve an equation rapidly and repeatedly sometimes thousands of computers and when they get to solve the equation they get attached in some way to a chain, a block. They get no, no, to so they, they don't get attached. They get rewarded for attaching that block of transactions to the blockchain. Okay, so it's a reward. Yes. Okay, so that, that equation, every time they solve it, is that a transaction? No, every time, every time they solve it, they are just rewarded for securing the network. So those transactions are grouped in a block and then once the transaction is solved or that they are rewarded and the blockchain is added. So the computing power is what actually like runs the network. Okay. All these computers are upholding the network um, mm -hmm. and they're just competing for the rewards. Okay, so but what I'm trying to get at is there's, com there's commerce in everything just about. So there's money exchanging somewhere. So this money you know, if you can call it profit or revenue or whatever, this money is being made by a mining, let's just say a mining company. And a yeah. mining company is where they get people, there are human beings currently involved, who write programs on computers to solve a specific equation. That equation was written by a thing, a person, an it, called Satoshi Nakamoto who invented the concept of Bitcoin, although he's not publicly visible. If you get your computer to solve that equation before another, your reward is a set of transactions in a block. No, 
your your reward are the transaction fees paid transaction fees okay so who pays those transaction fees anyone if i send money to you i would pay a transaction fee yeah okay and how much is it uh it depends on how congested the network is and you get told up front and you can decide whether you want to accept the transaction or not but it's not a fixed fee yeah fluctuates but i mean as a percentage at the moment because there's no not much activity on ethereum I'd say to send Bitcoin, I mean, to send Ethereum to another wallet, it would cost about 50 cents, US okay. dollars, 20 to 50 okay. cents. So I just want to say something quickly for the listeners on Spotify or Google Podcasts or iTunes, wherever you guys are tuning in, we don't want to lose you too much. I, I think you should definitely hop over to YouTube because Nicola has got a great like visual presentation of what Byron is talking about. And it's really helping me understand like how exactly what he's talking about and how the blockchain is working so i just thought i'd let you guys know that if you are if we are losing you definitely hop over to youtube <laughs> to check that out yeah we're, sorry we're losing but, ourselves <laughs> yeah literally literally so hang on i got a question now so that 50 cents is money or is it a a, a bit or a no, coin? It's, it's the equivalent of ethereum or bitcoin oh so it's Okay. Yeah. So, so the, if I want to send you, fund, yeah, if I want oh, to send yeah. you fifty dollars in the equivalent of Bitcoin, so yeah. it's we'd say fifty dollars in Bitcoin, but it's like Bitcoin zero point zero zero, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I'd pay a little bit extra than that fifty dollars. If I want the fifty dollars to land in that other wallet, I'd mm-hmm. pay a little bit extra than that fifty dollars for the transaction fee. Okay. Okay. And then, so these companies, mining companies, are getting these transaction fees over here. Yes, they get transaction right. fees and some Bitcoin, whatever's allocated for that yeah. Bitcoin halving. Um, and I'm not too sure what the number is. But for example, you can say there's 500 Bitcoin are going to produ- be produced in, this, in these four years then okay. that'll be divided up over the four years and that'll be part of the reward to the miners. Yeah, but there are people in these companies, you know, bodies that earn salaries or get paid in some way, right? Well, they no. don't need that many people. You can have like one person running a warehouse of computers. It'll just be for brief maintenance. And yeah, if you Google mining warehouses or... Bitcoin mining warehouses, you can see that they're just huge computers just doing their thing. Yeah, they don't need many people to run it. So a miner could be one person? Yeah, it could be one person, okay. depending on how big it is. Mm, it's, I actually had, when I was living in Vietnam, I actually had friends just about three years ago when I bought my hard wallet and I was kind of getting into it. I had mates who bought these mining machines from China and they they literally bought them and put them in their houses and it cost them heaps of electricity to run these things 24 7. yeah but they for example they are just normal people like us who invested in these miners and just took them to their home and anyone can do it from anywhere in the world however the caveats or the, the problem with that is like he was having heaps of like maintenance issues so like the miners were obviously cheap from china and that's just another thing that came with it but basically the point i'm trying to say is anyone could potentially mine Bitcoin. Yeah. Am I correct in saying that, but, Byron? 
Yes, but in terms of like how much money you can make from the mining, you need quite a, to invest quite a lot in order to be competitive and it to be worth your while. Running, I'm not at the moment. I don't think running like one miner would be worth your while in terms of like how much you get back from it. But I have heard that these things cons- consume electricity, and I've yes. often thought the biggest joke in the world for me at the moment is someone who says hello i'm a vegan and then i say what do you do for a living and they say i mine bitcoin because if you think of the the, if you think of sustainable development i'm not sure if it's not more toxic to the planet to have bitcoin versus printed money as a form of exchange you know what printed money i guess if it's plastic is chemicals if it's paper it's trees but it's not as if bitcoin has got zero footprint it's got a massive carbon footprint no yes that's correct it does have a massive carbon footprint but a lot of the miners are very conscious of this and most of them use renewable energy sources or they tap into remote locations where energy would be wasted and they utilize energy like that and yeah, not many people speak to that. And at the same time, we also don't speak about how much electricity all our social media uses. Oh um, my gosh. Yeah. This is they're also running one? huge cloud storage facilities. So now I'll like, put my phone down. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> no, it's all it's yeah. all relative and the goal of this is to give us our like independence and mm-hmm. decentralize, yeah, decentralize how we mm-hmm. use and make money. And so, and because of all the flack miners get from using electricity, they are very conscious of it. And if you yeah, looked into it a bit more, you'd find that they are trying not to just use normal grid energy to mine. Um, okay. But then you so, need yeah. to do some homework on your miner. Well, well no one you don't does, know who right? your miner is. Yeah, you don't know who your <laughs> miner is. That's, <laughs> okay. that's the thing about the decentralized system. You just, that, that's, that's it. Literally. So there's a huge amount of anonymity, but the goal is actually freedom. Yeah. Yes. Free, freedom is the goal, and it's freedom from regulation because central banks, reserve banks, and every other bank in the world has actually got us over a barrel because they control all of our transactions. We have, we need permission to make and save money. Whereas in this world, you don't need anyone's permission or authorization. Yes, but they, we do need some regulation okay. in order to get that sort of stamp of approval. Okay. That'll be like government regulation and transactions to be taxed um, and things like that. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's inevitable and necessary. And mm-hmm. so the sooner that happens, the better. But yes, it's basically just removing the middleman from... So so in essence, can... so if I play this back to you from the so sort of the value chain from the source, a person, we think, in Japan, we are told, developed an equation. <laughs> 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 and this equation was given to people who like to write computer programs. And that equation 
when it is calculated, produces a result. That result enables you to own or process a group of transactions in a distributed ledger. That group of transactions gives you a reward and the reward is the value of the transaction fees plus a small piece of what we call Bitcoin. If you put all those transactions together, they come and they are called a block. That block is chained to another block of transactions. And when you put all those blocks and chains together, you've got, you have something called blockchain. And Satoshi Nakamoto developed the first blockchain virtual currency, which is what we call Bitcoin. Is, is that, that right? Yes. Yeah, but the, what so you've explained. Miners. You see, you've explained like sort of how the miners get their money, and you can see how complicated this all this all is like on the back end. But like the normal person who just wants to buy and sell things doesn't really need to know all of this, and that's where it gets quite complicated and like frustrates me a bit about cryptocurrency and the blockchain is all these new words and terminology are not that simple mm. and so it makes people hesitant and mm. confused about getting involved but the word crypto at the front of cryptocurrency is for cryptography and cryptography is basically securing something with code and all credit card transactions use cryptography yeah. but we're not told that because no. we don't need to know that but because this is in the name people start asking questions and then it's very confusing and then it just starts spiraling out of control. And that's the same for a lot of the terminology in the space. And so I think part of getting the message across and onboarding people is to simplify everything because it is just a bit too confusing at the moment. Yeah. And I think if you unpacked gold, because we've referenced gold a few times, but if you unpack gold, and you said, how is gold made? It's a very complicated process. But gold itself is very tangible and very simple to exchange okay. because you can buy a ring, you can sell a ring, you can have your tooth filled or not have your tooth filled, but it's visible. But the process of making gold is very complicated. And there was a time when gold processing would have been extremely confusing to the world, but they only had to exchange gold. So the most of the world exchanged gold and other people, quote unquote, mined it. Now in today's world, you've got massive access to information. So people can learn more about how to make gold. But in this instance, it's called Bitcoin or Ethereum or something else. So I think you're right. There needs to be a simplified language but in essence, what we're trying to get people to do is shift their perception of value away from fiat, printed money, and or gold, tangible physical assets, into something that they can no longer see. And because one of the primary senses is visual, the perception of value will always be harder until such time as people are completely comfortable 
that money is unseen, which to a large extent today it is with our credit cards and things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. So it's moving in yeah. that direction, but it's not there yet. And still in Africa, printed money is still the preferred means of exchange. Yeah, same in Vietnam. But in America, I don't know that people have thousands of dollars in their wallet. They all have credit cards mm -hmm. or debit cards. Yeah. So I think yeah, in yeah, some exactly. economies, you'll find higher levels of adoption. But that's just the perception of value. And when businesses start to accept Bitcoin and, and the platform can do it and or other virtual currencies rather than cryptocurrencies, it's a virtual currency. Because like you said, you know, credit card transactions are crypto as well. PayPal, all of that stuff is crypto. But until the receiver recognizes that as a source of funds, and I guarantee you at this point, they'll still want to transfer that fund, that virtual money into tangible money because they'll still put it in the bank. Like your brother, yeah. he goes and cashes it in, he cashes it for dollars, and then he goes to Target and spends his cash. You need the you need businesses to accept it as a, a legitimate form of exchange. Yes, and that's starting mm. to happen. There are a lot of like fashion brands that are now accepting Ethereum as a means of okay. exchange, like the big high-end ones like Gucci, Balenciaga, and Starbucks now accepts oh, it. Cool. So it's, it's slowly starting. But yes, in order for it to have worldwide value, everyone mm -hmm. needs to accept it and recognize that it is a means of exchange. Yeah. That's very so, interesting. So just because mm -hmm. this, we could literally <laughs> talk about this, I think, all day because there's just so much to unpack. So luckily for the listeners and the viewers, we are going to actually have two episodes on this with Byron. And we really appreciate your time. But uh, there's just so much to unpack already. Like my my brain feels frazzled at the moment. So I'm going to end this episode here. Um, mm -hmm. Nicola, just before we do, can you just sort of summarize what you've written and what we've covered today for all the listeners and the viewers out there? Sure. So if I go back to page one, thank you, Byron, by the way. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> you've been amazing. <laughs> so basically, we started out in the beginning. And we asked the question, what is crypto and what is blockchain? And crypto is a digital currency. And Byron just made a very good point. He said, crypto is almost misleading because it implies something mysterious. But actually, crypto means nothing more than securing a transaction with code. So if we're buying on our credit card, if you're paying with PayPal, if you're doing it on online banking, it's exactly the same. That's all crypto. It's all secured transactions with code. I guess Mark Shuttleworth, when he did, um, was it Thought? That was that was a form of code. I mean, he was right up there. He wasn't Bitcoin, but he had something going on there. So that was about securing transactions with code. So what this digital currency allows us to do is to have peer-to-peer which could be business to business, person to person, individual to individual, peer-to-peer -peer transactions with no middleman. So there's not a bank approving our transaction. I pay Byron directly and Byron pays me directly with the digital currency. There are fees involved, but they're a lot less than you would probably get through a bank. 
for the most part. That cryptocurrency, the platform that it uses for the transaction is called blockchain. And blockchain is an immutable distributed ledger, ledger, which basically means immutable means it's there forever. The transaction will always exist. I assume for as long as the platform exists, if all the computers disappeared, it would go. But for as long as there are computers around, it's immutable. It's distributed, meaning that it's run across lots of computers all around the world. And it's a ledger, which is a list of records of transactions. If you put a number of transactions together, I pay Byron, Byron pays me, Nick pays Byron, Byron pays Nick, Nick pays me, I pay Byron to pay Nick. All those transactions together can be seen by anybody on the blockchain at any time. So it's completely transparent. And a number of those transactions is called a block. That block of transactions is chained to another block and another block and another block. So the link between a block of transactions is chained together, hence the term blockchain. Crypto cool. is a currency. Awesome. So I'm going to stop you there. Byron, is there anything you want to comment on there? How, how was that for an overview? Yeah, I think that was a great overview. I'm, yeah, I'm just paying attention to see if I explained anything like <laughs> Fantastic. Um, okay, cool. I think that was, yeah, good. Okay, bang on. Okay, so carry on. Nicola, just to okay, fine. Briefly summarize the rest. Cool. So the the goal of having this, which can be quite scary to some people, is you have the ultimate control, accountability, and responsibility of your currency, what we would typically call money. You don't have to answer to anyone. The downside is there's no security. There's no customer support, there's no deferred responsibility, and there's no physical infrastructure. So if you make a mistake, you make a mistake. You can't go, well, you can, you have to go to yourself and have a chat with yourself, but you can't go to the bank and have a chat with them. What's emerged over time are some middlemen, the equivalent of what we might call a bank, which is not called a bank, it's called a centralized exchange. And these central centralized exchange basically allow you to trade and exchange a number of different cryptocurrencies or a number of virtual currencies. There's a saying in the industry that says, if it's not your keys, it's not your money. So basically, if you don't own the key to your wallet, we'll explain that just now, then theoretically, it's not your money. So going through exchanges is a little bit like going through a bank and not. <laughs> <laughs> which is also hysterical. What um, happens? Yeah. The only thing I'd say with the downside, no security, I, I would say that's not really like an accurate for downside, not accurate description because it is very secure. It's just the the insecurity like we went in into later is more because of its volatility, which is just lack of people using it, lack of regulation and possible scams, which is actually like your own fault but in terms of like the the network and how it works it's a very secure database. okay cool cool so basically to own bitcoin or any other currency you need a wallet now it's not a leather wallet with your name on this is a digital wallet which would be held on a computer but you can take that wallet off and put it on a usb drive 
or the equivalent of a USB drive, a brand of this wallet is called a ledger. A ledger yeah. is not the ledger that we referenced to before. Yeah. And basically, you can take your wallet, your your currency wallet, put it on this little USB drive and put it under your mattress. So the question was, what if your mattress blew up or went on fire yeah. or your house burned down or you drank too much at a bar one night and you lost your your USB ledger? Basically, you can get it back again by going back online. But to do that, you have to remember a randomly generated unique seed phrase comprising <laughs> of 24 words. <laughs> Literally. Is. <laughs> which is amazing so this is called a hot wallet hardware and wallet a hardware wallet. Hard wallet hot hot wallet is the one on your Online. computer and yeah. hardware okay. is the one hardware okay, wallet cool, is cool, cool. so if you want to get back onto your ledger or, or back onto your wallet you have to remember your hot wallet which you can now reactivate online providing you know what your 24 words are and they must never be kept on a computer. So in some instances, people have had these engraved on metal pieces in three different parts <laughs> of the world. <laughs> one in their well, grandmother's it, house. It's, <laughs> worth, it, it's worth it when you have millions and yeah, millions yeah. of dollars. For yeah, sure, yeah. for sure. But it is quite funny when you think about when you think about it, even though it's in the ether people still need, it's almost like uh, Sanskrit. If it's that valuable, you have to sort of carve it on a camel skin and uh, put it in an ark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what will happen in a thousand years when people find these sort of etched pieces of yeah. metal. It's like finding dinosaur bones. <laughs> <laughs> Digital dinosaur bones. Like. Okay. So basically this wallet is your responsibility Mm -hmm. It's a bit of risk attached to this because you can't lose this. If you ended up with millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin and you lost your wallet, you've lost your money. And that wallet if, is not something you, can't you generate. Your seed yes, your seed phrase. Yes. Gee, well, so imagine if you got, what's that when you lose your memory as you get older? Dementia. Well, yeah. There's, there's stories of people who bought Bitcoin way back in the day when it first started they bought a whole lot of bitcoin and threw their computer away and then bitcoin <gasps> went bitcoin went up to sixty thousand dollars um this. and he wants to dig up the whole rubbish dump basically yeah Why wouldn't you because um, right? he's got you? millions of dollars worth and but the council won't let him and so <sighs> yeah and another guy's locked out he can't remember his his seed phrase Mm. So you can't get into the wallet, but there's millions on there. Yeah. So, yeah. I've got a friend that was gifted a whole bunch of Bitcoins when they were like a dollar and has no idea what those phrases are. No. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, let's not go there. Yeah. So then we, <laughs> then we had the conversation is what is, or what is Bitcoin and Ethereum or what are digital currencies? So in essence, Bitcoin is almost like gold. It's, it's the gold standard of cryptocurrency. There's a finite supply, meaning you can only generate with this particular equation, which we'll get to, you can only generate 21 million Bitcoins. And there is a 
an estimated timeline of up until 2040. Every four years, it halves. So I'm not quite sure how that works, but we might do that in another session. But in essence, because it's a gold standard, you buy and hold it as an asset. It's not something you necessarily trade on a day-to-day -day basis. So when you think of Bitcoin, you think of it as an asset class rather than money that you would use to go and buy your groceries with currently. Ethereum currently. might be different. Yeah. So the question was then, you know, where did we get away from gold and what is fiat currency? And basically fiat currency is any currency that is not backed by gold. So in essence, it's printed. And that started in 1974 when the U.S. took a decision to stop backing the dollar by the gold standard. So most currencies that we trade with today have no federal reserve. They are literally printed money. And the only reason that they have value is because we transact with it. And the more we transact with a particular currency, the more perceived value we think it has. But the dollar, the piece of paper, has no real physical value. It's just the perceived value of the transaction. It's a way of exchange. We then ask the question, is this stuff safe? Because it scares the poop out of me, for sure. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, woo. And the answer was, it's pretty safe. And then you said, no, 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 hang on a minute. <laughs> it's very safe. Yeah, Meaning yeah. that it's safe on the transaction. Yeah. But there is a, there's the dangers, you said, are a lack of regulation, volatility, and scams. And you said that the lack of regulation is we're not quite sure what governments are going to do. The volatility is because people have uncertainty around its use, but that will reduce the more people use this currency or these currencies. And scams is basically a danger to yourself, meaning yeah. you might end up transacting or doing foolish things and not paying full attention. This is really about paying attention because you could press the wrong button. Yeah. So it's the security is not about the network. The, the network is perceived to be very safe, but you could drain your wallet. Here's where I got very scared. <laughs> that's a yeah. drain and that's all the wallet. This is your Bitcoin going down the drain. I'll just put little bits in here. <laughs> and yes, that would, that would be because of an error you make. Yeah. yeah. So the, the risk is the, the user or the, the owner of the wallet mm -hmm. takes on all the risk. Whereas in a banking yeah. system, the bank takes on some of that risk. Yes. I like my friend yeah. had his whole account drained <gasps> last week because um, oh, they got no. his phone. Oh, um, but because of like insurance from the bank and stuff, they just made him whole again. So like you can't do that in cryptocurrency. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So there's no then, backup. Yeah. And then the last, I'm sure we had one more slide, Nicola. Can you briefly just summarize that? Yeah. So the last yeah. slide is what can you do with it, which is basically how do you do something with it or how do you get it? That's perhaps a better question here. You know, where do you start? That was, I think, the yeah, question where do you we start? asked. Basically, the I just Googled. I just Googled the Fiat standard. It was 1971, Oops. not 74. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's all good. That's all good. Let's go back to 1971. <laughs> that's good enough. Yeah, cool. So where do you start? Well, whoops, sorry, not by crossing out your work. You start 
by going <laughs> online, which means yeah. you need a PC or a phone. Cool. You find an exchange recommended. Mm -hmm. a, an exchange could be Binance, Coinbase, Luno. Luno is very South African, but I'm sure there's exchanges in Vietnam, the UK, etc. Yeah, yeah. You open an account, and to register, they have to do know your customer, KYC, ID, numbers, pictures, addresses, etc. You then take money out of your bank, your fiat bank, and you put it into your exchange account. And then you can buy Bitcoin or Ethereum or some of the other coins. So basically, you're transferring money out of fiat asset, paper money, into digital asset, virtual money. And Bitcoin, as we already said, is the gold standard. So if you get into Bitcoin, you're buying and holding. Some people are obviously trading as a way of making money. But in essence, you buy a fraction. And if you've got the cash to an entire Bitcoin, those bits go into your wallet. And then eventually, one day, with uh, I think it was called the Lightning Platform, they are hoping that Bitcoin will be a form of transaction. Currently, it's a bit slow to transact, but in the future, you could have a Bitcoin transaction like a Visa card, and those Visa cards already exist. USDT is one of them, and you can basically have Bitcoin on your card. You can go into a shop like I think it was Starbucks, mm -hmm. and you can buy a cup of coffee with your digital currency. Yeah. The platforms that offer those services theoretically have fiat money as their asset base and provide you with an opportunity to exchange digital currencies. So they are they convert digital currency into dollars and vice versa. Yeah. And then the very last page was where we kicked off and spoke about Ethereum. Ethereum is not Bitcoin. It's different. It's a technology that allows people to build apps on top of it through a process of what we call smart contracts. Smart contracts are where the inputs and the outputs match, and that can equal a transaction. And basically, every, what did you say? Every coin has a token standard, which is called the ERC20, and that equals a currency. So USDT is a virtual currency, but it's actually attached to dollar assets, and you can transact and send money instantly around the world for a nominal fee. Yeah. And um, wow. yeah, well, we can go into more detail of smart contracts next time. We didn't really. Yeah, yeah, it. for sure. Yeah. Before mm -hmm. we let Byron go, I just want to say that this is a testament to his dedication to the blockchain industry because we have literally squeezed every single ounce of information out of him. <laughs> and not only that, we have thrown every single possible question at him and he's answered all of them immaculately. So a testament to you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And we can't well, wait for episode three. Well, NFTs. Thank you for having me, guys. Um, NFTs, yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, looking forward to the NFT discussion. That's my my favorite. But I hope I I did it justice because, like I said, this the cryptocurrency side of things. I feel like I have to know it, but it's not sort of what I focus on. So I hope my explanations no. were good, and I hope I hope they were all correct. Um, but, you yeah. did better than anybody else I've heard. I've had like five people try and explain this to me, at least. Oh, well, 
And the first guy that explained it, I was like, nah, that doesn't make sense to me. And he worked in a, a technology company. So I think he did brilliantly. Yeah, and I'm super you. excited about NFTs because I've got a passion for art. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, maybe we can put some of your art up. Do a sale. little collaboration. Yeah. As they say. <laughs> <laughs> walk you through the process. Um, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Oh, wow. That would be amazing. Cool. Yeah. Well, take a, so, take a look yeah. at the thinking fund, Byron. See what we're doing okay. this year. Yeah. yeah. It's sure, very cool. So on, and actually on that note, Byron, where can people reach you if they want to reach you? At the moment, I'm mainly focused on LinkedIn. You should be able to find me on Byron Greeley on LinkedIn. And I try to post five times a week, something about the Web3 space, something I find interesting or trying to explain a topic. So yeah, if you want to just read through some of that, go for it. Yeah, fantastic. And I highly recommend that you guys do do that and follow Byron. He's got some great content coming out every day. I actually get the notifications on my phone every day and, and it's great. it's great to read, you know, dropping knowledge bombs on everyone. But again, thank you so much for your time. Nicola, thank you for your time. What thank a discussion, you. guys. What a discussion. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> I'm going to have to edit this and play it back four times just to get everything in my brain. But yeah, have a great day. Enjoy your weekend and we will see you soon. Thanks, cool. guys. Okay. Cheers. Cheers, Bye. guys. For more news and content about ThinkAnnect, go to www.thinkanick.com or visit our Facebook or Instagram pages at Think Connect.